Allegorical Life. This is the podcast where we discuss the metaphors of life, leadership and everything in between. Welcome back to another episode of The Allegorical Life. My name's Jordan and as always, I'm here with Mark Rosweller. By way of introduction for those of you who don't know Mark, he's worked in crisis security and emergency management for over 30 years. His experiences, both personal and professional, have taken him into the world of philosophy, often intersecting with the worlds of theology and mythology. Mark often talks both nationally and internationally about these intersections and how they shape the way we think, speak and act. He talks about the ways that they can influence both the quality of our leadership and, more importantly, the quality of our lives. Mark, thanks again for joining us on the Allegorical Life podcast. Today we're talking ideologies and freedom, uh, inspired by a recent uh, blog post that you wrote uh, on the Allegorical Life blog, uh, which was titled, Travelling Without a Compass, Good Luck. Now, recently you shared a conversation with prominent social scientist Hugh McKay what did you find most interesting about his book, Australia Reimagined? Um, so what I found most interesting about his book was um, the, the pathway that Australia appears to be on, and, and he's been commentating on Australian culture now for many years. I think he's written about 22 books, um, and he's been tracking Australian culture for you know for decades. And we're clearly on a trajectory that, we seem to be moving away from our happiness. I mean, I was reading the paper this morning uh, and there was a recent survey um, in Australia of of uh, the amount of anger that's in Australia at the moment and people are losing their courtesies and, and you know, losing their politeness and losing their consideration for others. And, and Hugh talks about that in his book, um, that we seem to be moving away from what we have traditionally understood as being, you know, a good life. And I'm not saying we don't live a good life. I think I think we do in Australia. We're privileged in probably every sense of the word, really. But but even with those privileges and that sort of global positioning um, uh, in you know in a truly globalised market, we're still not happy. And he really articulates that well. And I think by um, you know quite separately from any specific religious thought or philosophy comes to the conclusion that, you know, moving away from our compassion moves us away from our happiness. And and he really articulates that, I think, in quite pragmatic and sensible ways. I mean, he speaks of over 2 million Australians clinically diagnosed with depression and, you know, similar numbers diagnosed with anxiety. And I think I've mentioned this in a, in a podcast before, but, and I know through work that, that, you know, there's that much antidepressant being consumed in Sydney that it can be detected in Sydney Harbour. We've got um, we can detect the amount of methamphetamine use in wastewater in Australia now, and and we are the biggest users of methamphetamines in the world, and we pay the most for it. Um, so he sort of really highlighted to me that you know much of what we see uh, play out in society, much of what the you know the great philosophies and mythologies and theology spoke about and cautioned about. Um, continue to ring true. We continue to sort of straddle that fine line between moving towards a, a good life and moving away from a good life. And, and that all comes down to fundamentally, the one, the way we see the world, but two, the ethics that we bring to that world and, and the way we interpret it. So I think, he, I think he articulated it really quite well. When I spoke to him uh, and had a coffee with him, he said, and I'm, look, I'm sure it's doing better now, but at the time he said, you know, the book sales weren't as good as he had expected. I think that's now changed. But but 
it sort of highlights that it, I, I think some Australians aren't ready to hear it. I think it's it's such so difficult to hear that maybe we're on the wrong path or maybe we've moved off that you know that wonderful middle point. But you know, between excesses of one or excesses of another, and, and we've you know we've moved to the left or moved to the right, and maybe people don't really want to know that because it implies that you know there's work to be done to come back to the middle. Well, I would say to anybody, if if you're off centre point, you know, if you've moved away from your wisdom, then you're you're already working harder, uh, at least mentally, than if you were working your way back to that more sensible position. So, whenever we move too far left or too far right, um, we suffer a lot. And, and we think that coming back to centre is hard work, but it's harder to sit to the left or sit to the right, much, much harder. So so his book essentially says that. He says if we find our compassion and we re-establish our consideration for others and, you know, caring for other people and contemplate, you know, how we might be able to help our fellow human beings that we'll find, you know, a greater sense of happiness. And I think he's right. Mark, how many people do you think are aware of the ideologies that are playing out in our culture at the moment? Do you think mostly we're ambivalent, unaware, or we're actively promoting the ones that we believe in? I think we're largely ambivalent. I mean, it, it, it didn't surprise me when I read it, and and he articulated, I mean, I expanded upon it in my blog, but he articulated the those influences quite well. And, um, and look, the thing with all ideologies is that they're quite pervasive and quite subtle, and most people don't even know what they are. So if you spoke about relativism or subjectivism, sorry, subjectivism, or individualism, or even liberalism, which is the you know the foundational philosophy of our modern day politics. Most people wouldn't understand what those things actually mean, and that's fair enough. If you're not into political philosophy like I am, or you know uh, sociology and and other uh, sort of more academic disciplines, you probably wouldn't know that they even existed. But they're very powerful narratives, and they're used politically. They're used by you know, major political parties to influence and shape national thinking and to move um, nations in a certain direction. Um, individualism, of course, has been around since the 1600s. It pretty much turned up uh, with the Enlightenment, Enlightenment era. And that's where we discovered that, you know, we had the capacity for reason and logics and uh, we discovered science in a profoundly um, significant way. And, and we started to move against nature. We started to to pick up a an attitude that you know we could conquer nature, or that we were separate from her, uh, is you know personified. It's a her, of course, um, and seek to dominate the world and seek to pursue uh, external liberties as opposed to internal liberties, and and that was a fundamental shift, I think, in the way we saw the world philosophically, and we've been living through that lens ever since. So, individualism um, is absolutely rampant, and it. it, it if you you know read the newspapers, watch the news, look at social media, uh, see how how the world advertises uh, in order to attract your investments or your money in certain products or services, it's it plays to a certain part of the mind which is uh, you know which exists, but it can be quite detrimental. And we've been doing it for a long time, and I think it's getting worse. So you know, I said in my blog that. You know, we've been trying to become individuals now for the last 400 years. Well, I think we've finally arrived and now we've got to live with ourselves um, because we're not we're not living um, as collectively as we used to. And Humakai makes a similar observation that, you know, I know in my own job, um, head of, you know, res, uh, the National Resilience Task Force for the federal government, that, that we know that the, the greatest saving of human life is neighbour helping neighbour. 
uh, we know that it's it's a, it's a much earlier intervention than a triple zero call to police, fire, or emergency services. And yet, we also know that 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 um, we know our neighbours least of all now um, uh, than, than ever before. So we have people living next door to each other that have never met. Um, you know, we are cramming people into cities in high-rise buildings that have no intention of knowing the person next door because they're just trying to find their own mental and physical space. So, so we've kind of got an antithesis going on where the world's getting more complex. It's arguably getting more intense because there's more people packed into smaller places. People need to rely on each other more to help through times of crisis, and yet the exact opposite is happening and people are disconnecting and becoming quite isolated and quite lonely. Um, and so there's a real um, uh, paradox going on there, of course. So, so these ideologies been around for a long time. Um, they play to an aspect of our mind uh, which is quite destructive. You know, it's called um, uh, well in Buddhist thought, it's called self-cherishing or self-grasping. Uh, the West refers to it as the ego. Um, it's not a bad correlation or a bad. Uh, you know, uh, joining up between Eastern and Western thought. So if we speak about the ego, we know we know it's a pain in the neck. Um, but but ideologies speak to it all the time. So we're constantly pursuing something that you know is not necessarily very helpful for us. So so to answer your question, Jordan, they're pervasive. They're subtle. Most people don't understand that they exist, but they do operate through them and speak through them and act through them pretty much every day. Did you know that Australia's first conference on loneliness took place uh, recently in Melbourne, uh, titled The Australian Loneliness Dialogue, uh, which was aimed at increasing the understanding of loneliness in society? You know, that doesn't surprise me, and, and I'm, I'm glad somebody's picked up on it because um, because it's an awful place to be in. I mean, we all need solace, you know, solitude and and quiet reflection, and I've spoken about this before in blogs and podcasts about, you know, the blissful silence of knowing. And, and we do need from time to time to take ourselves, you know, out of mainstream life and just quietly contemplate and you know, tap into those energies or those those thoughts that, you know, bring a, a blissful silence and a blissful knowing as to what the purpose and meaning of our life is. But but that's momentary. That's not a, a place in which to dwell all the time. And I think because the world's becoming a far denser place, a much more populated place. And you know, certainly in Australia we're not we're not fully utilizing land. We're trying to um uh, we're trying to put push and, and push people into cities and smaller spaces that I just think the natural reaction, because everybody needs space mentally and physically, uh, if you can't get it physically because of the amount of people around you, then you'll get it mentally. And so people are closing off, putting on their headphones, listening to music, walking down the street totally oblivious to the rest of the world because it's the only place they can find some peace and quiet, or at least they think that's the only place they can find peace and quiet. And so I think we've got a real problem. I'm glad there was a conference on it on one level, but isn't it sad that we have to have a conference on loneliness to actually bring consciousness to the fact that that's exactly what's going on in society and it is the antithesis of happiness. You know, human beings, I said this the other day from an anthropological perspective that, you know, why have we survived so long? Well, well, we can't bite, we have no poison, we can't scratch, um, you know, all those things that animals have in order to survive and, and you know, where necessary dominate, we don't have. What we have is cognition and cooperation. And what's kept us alive, um, you know, since we stood up on two feet essentially is our capacity to be compassionate and to cooperate um, and to work together and and to live together and to share together. And 
when we move away from that, we suffer immensely. We also become more exposed and more vulnerable. So, so there are some pervasive narratives going on. All of them feed into the loneliness. All of them feed into the to the ego, to the to this inflated sense of self, which is not so much a moral judgment, but it is it is a, a precaution or a caution cautionary note to say, look, if you go into that world too far, it's painful, and and we've got to do things say things and think things that move us out of that space and back into a more collective and a more generous society. You're listening to the Allegorical Life Podcast. Mark, talk us through this idea of the freedom paradox. So Clive Hamilton, who's a professor of ethics in uh, – he was in Australian National University. I think now he's with Charles Sturt University, and I, I caught up with him a couple of years ago. A really interesting fellow and certainly incredibly knowledgeable on matters to do with ethics and morality. Um, wrote a book called The Freedom Paradox, and you know, in it he says many things, of course, but one of the things he said was that, you know, that morality was so important um, it essentially defines who we are, not 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 completely, but certainly it is a substantial part of our identity is is our morality or our, or our ethos. And and he essentially said this. He said, look, if if you had um, free will with no repercussions whatsoever, and you could do whatever you wanted, and it you know didn't matter. He said two things would happen. He said you wouldn't be able to move because there'd be too much choice. He said, but more importantly, he said you, w- you wouldn't know who you were. He said, because we are defined by our moral boundaries. Um, and, and uh, you know, I've experienced this in my life. I'm sure everybody has that w- when I've lost consciousness of that or, or that that boundary or that line became blurred and I blurred it or, you know, allowed it to be blurred and then I crossed it, um, it caused me enormous suffering. And, uh, and that happens to everybody that we lose lose consciousness of or mindfulness of what our moral boundaries are. And um, and then we cross them and, of course, we cause ourselves a whole lot of grief. So we've seen that play out politically in the last couple of weeks. I don't want to reference it specifically at the moment, but, you know, in New South Wales politics it played out uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, it, it plays out in the sporting um, industry. It, it, it's playing out all the time where people are crossing boundaries um, quite carelessly or quite unconsciously and then causing themselves and others a whole lot of grief. So, so we have a society that doesn't really know how to navigate that. And in my next blog, I talk about virtue signalling, which is essentially where you know people get quite righteous and angry about all of the wrong behaviours in the world, but they, in so doing, when they they shout loudly, largely because they're very angry, that they don't themselves do anything about it. So they're not in action; they're just in words. Um, and and I think that that somehow we've got to get back to a, a to a more sophisticated conversation about our moral compass and and do it understanding that we'll be imperfect. So ethics is difficult. I, I speak to ethics all the time, and it's really tricky. It's one of the hardest things I've ever had to speak to. I mean, I mean, the the, the science of disasters is hard enough, and the, you know, the science of of cyclones and floods and tornadoes and everything else is, you know, pretty tricky to speak to, but it's nothing compared to ethics. But And so we will speak imperfectly and we'll probably speak unskillfully, but we need to speak nonetheless. But instead of speaking through anger, instead of shouting at everybody, we need to be more reflexive and, and have more humility and, and, and a whole lot more forgiveness that people probably will say 
the wrong thing with the right intention. So if we can understand the intention and understand that perhaps the language and the narrative is unskillful, then we can start to move forward and say, well, look, what is a good society? What is good for us? Um, you know, what is it that, that, you know, leads us all to a better life and, and the capacity to cooperate with each other, irrespective of race, culture, gender, sexual orientation or what have you? You know, we are polarising. There's identity politics. We're moving back towards nationalism. Uh, none of those things are helpful. They're all divisive. And I'm not surprised that people are getting lonely because they're sort of saying, well, where do I fit in the world? You know, so, so anything to do with nationalism or identity politics or individualism will move people away from the collective mind or, or the collective efforts of society. And Mark, I love the idea that you talk about in your blog post, which is life as an ethical work in progress. What do you see as the work we can all do in this space as we live our lives? I think, um, so I said to someone last week that your ethics never leaves you. So it's part of your identity. It's part of who you are. Um, in my PhD research, it's fascinating how many people see ethics as off to the side, um, as something that's to be accessed from time to time or or something that, that can be displaced by organisational culture or by, you know, political uh, influence and and so ethics keeps getting pushed to the side or or suppressed, but it's an inherent part of who we are. So so when we suppress our ethics, we're suppressing ourselves. Um, so I think it's really important to understand that you know every every waking moment really is is an opportunity. And, and look, this is very Buddhist, but it's also very Aristotelian to say, look, your life is a is a is a work of ethic. Um, you know, you move towards a better life as you get older by learning through your experiences and your observations of the world and and essentially living through your virtues. And, you know, virtues universally are things like compassion and trust and forgiveness, humility, consideration for others, uh, care, uh, truthfulness, you know, all those things that are actually quite attractive, um, Sometimes difficult to speak to because we know we breach them pretty much every day on some level. Not not all of them. Um, I think we can. Most people are, you know, generally speaking, very truthful and honest. But we can still slip up. We can have a careless word or an inaccurate portrayal of an event or or a conversation, and you know, we move away th- from truthfulness. Or, or we can have a day where we're not as considerate as we could have been with other people. So you know, we wax and wane on these things, but. If we're conscious of them and say, "Look, you know, th- these are these are perfections, but we are imperfect," and and the purpose of life is to you know to move towards the perfections, or just to, really just to get better, um, then every day becomes worthwhile, and every experience becomes worthwhile, knowing that sometimes we'll slip up, and if we do, you know, and apply a bit of forgiveness and humility, and take the lesson and move on. Um, but if we don't even contemplate ethics, if we, if we see it as something off to the side or something that you use from time to time, we're stumbling and fumbling every day. And, and I'm not surprised people are getting sad and depressed because they're losing their identity. You know, as a country, I think we're losing our identity because we're too caught up in divisive language and, and divisive narratives, you know, promoted by subjectivism, relativism and individualism. Um, that feed this stuff. And unless we consciously challenge it, unless we sort of stop and say, hang on a minute, you know, what, what binds us together is our humanity, is our capacity to be compassionate, is our capacity to, you know, to see, see the point of view of the other person and to do whatever is reasonably possible uh, to make the situation better. I mean, we saw it play out last week in Melbourne, you know, another terrorist event on the streets of Melbourne in Burke Street. Um, 
very, very tricky situation for police and bystanders, um, but people rose up, stepped in and, and did what needed to be done to avoid any future harm and suffering or any more harm and suffering. And, you know, I, I have to feel for the fellow who lost his life, the, you know, the, 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 the man labelled as a terrorist. Um, clearly his actions were inappropriate, unacceptable and, and needed to be dealt with, you know, with, with as much force as necessary in order to prevent the harm. And that's that classic example where, you know, a force in extremists needed to be used in order to stop any further harm. Um, it's all sad, really. The whole thing's very sad. What, what you know, those who died an innocent death, um, those who were injured, those, those who were called in to, to deal with the situation, and then the gentleman himself who had to perish. I mean, the whole thing's unfortunate. Um, but what happened in that space is that people stepped up, uh, stepped in and did whatever they could to reduce or prevent further harm and suffering. And that, that is such a natural reaction of humanity. And, and why we can't do that every day on, on, on lesser levels, on more, on more subtle aspects of life, um, I find quite fascinating. That, that opportunity to be that way is inherent in every human being. It's not, it's not off to the side, Jordan. It's not something that's additional to. It's an inherent part of who we are as, as part of our fun, foundational identity. And, and unless we speak to that more and, 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 and try and liberate it and become more skillful um, in how we navigate it, then yes, we will continue to be get, get lonelier and lonelier and sadder and sadder. Thanks for joining us today on The Allegorical Life. If you're enjoying our podcast, you might like to add a review on iTunes and that'll help other people find us as well. Thank you and we hope to have you with us again soon. Thank mm-hmm. you.